Welcome back to The Mining Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Michael Carter, aka Bitspeed Trippin', an OG Bitcoin miner and one of the largest YouTube channels for Bitcoin mining. In this show, we talk about investing in infrastructure, investing in ASICs, AI, and other proof-of-work coins. This episode really has it all, so stick around. First, we want to give out a shout-out to our lead sponsor for the show, Foreman Mining. You'll hear from them later in the episode. And also a quick shout-out to our next two sponsors, which are Gator Mining and Upstream. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Before we do that, we want to plug our Bitcoin newsletter, Blockspace.media. If you go there, you can sign up, give us some of your information, get uh, two articles per week to your inbox on Monday, Tuesday. You get fresh original content from writers in the Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining space. And then end of the week, a nice little short summary for what happened during the week. So if you missed out on anything, that's a great place to catch up. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. Let's hear a word from our sponsors and then get into the conversation. Want to mine Bitcoin? Gator Mining offers premium hosting with as low as one unit per client, 95% uptime guaranteed, no curtailment, 24-7 monitoring and maintenance, in-house certified repair center, clean and renewable energy, all at competitive market rates. Work with an individualized team to get hash rate flowing your way today. Gator Mining, pioneering trustworthy crypto hosting for optimal mining success. Contact Gator Mining today at gatormining.ca. Bitcoin miners, be prepared. Hashrate is moving upstream towards power plants and low-value energy. Don't get cut off. Modernize and mobilize your Bitcoin mining fleet today with Upstream Data's high-performance load centers. Plug in Upstream Data's hash hut and monetize surplus wind power reliably in the blistering heat of West Texas. Plumb in hash generators and safely convert natural gas into cash in the frigid winters of northern Canada. Upstream offers high-quality load centers that will help you mine Bitcoin safely and reliably in every application and climate. Mobilize today and start mining Upstream at upstreamdata.com. Are you a retail or institutional investor interested in Bitcoin mining companies? The Miner Mag brings you free data and analysis from all major NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin mining operations to know who stands out. Check out visualized metrics and data-dependent stories at theminermag.com. Welcome back to the Mining Pod, joined again by Michael Carter, aka Bitsby Trippin. Michael, welcome to the show. We always get you at the beginning of the year to kick us off for the new one. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm actually still sending the car. Just got off a flight here at the, the building. Our office space here isn't fully built yet, and it's pretty loud in there. So I'm staying in the car today for this one. Uh, but maybe on the next one, we'll be inside the facility uh, to show you guys around there. Hey, no, I'm a huge fan of it. I've tried to do a few shows inside mining farms, but the, the noise yeah. is always, of course, an issue. And no one wants to turn off for an hour just to record a podcast because that's a lot of revenue. So we, yeah. we've we never really quite managed it, filmed some other stuff there. But yeah, I, I love that you're there because you know that's this what the show is all about, actually, like getting to a mining farm. Uh, we'll kick it off just kind of getting a, a recap of what you're up to. I mean, you've been really putting in the work the last year, getting... Uh, Bitcoin mining farms off the ground, whether for yourself or for other people. So an yeah. overview of what you've been up to would be great. Yeah. Yeah. So over since last year that we've talked, we, you know, we got our other uh, farm in Illinois fully up. So that was a five megawatt farm. It's about 1500 machines. Um, so that's been up and running now since January. Since then, we've also picked up a couple other clients and helped them get their farms uh, situated. So we've had a few other 20 foot containers that we've worked with and, um, you know, so we had uh, 750 KVA, so it's 0.75 of a megawatt, and then all the way up to another couple five megawatt farms that we've helped. Uh, some of its maintenance, it really comes down. People see the channel, they see some of the stuff we do and the, the crew that we have, and we go out to sites, help them, you know, recover, you know, issues, and then work with our partners that have, you know, ability to fix some of the, uh, you know, the actual components, if it's hash boards that are down, um, firmware updates, you know, if there was bad firmware, we've had a few of those where they, you know, deployed some firmware and it just, it messed up some stuff. So we had to go in there and do some recovery, but, you know, under our, um, operations now, little or under 30 megawatt in total, uh, that we either maintain or, or help operate our own. Um, we have the 15 megawatt farm here. That's part of our, uh, you know, internal side. Uh, out here in North Carolina that we're working to build up now that we're doing that with 6,000 ASICs, uh, doing a little different configuration because of the way the PPA is and the the power purchase agreement and this the size of the building that we have. It was a previous GPU farm, huge amount of racking already, all the plugs and everything in place. 
to a power. Um, so it took some reconfiguration here to, to make it work with ASICs. Um, but we're taking a little different, you know, span with this one by underclocking everything and just having more machines. Uh, some of the older machines, 95 terahash units through uh, 120s, the older 120s, not the SK Pros. Um, so the 115, 110s, uh, all Bitmain stuff here uh, on this particular shop. But, you know, taking everything and then downclocking everything. So we're going to average about 2,500 watts per machine. Um, and that runs from anywhere from 82 terahash through about 110, you know, on the 120s, taking them to 110 and optimizing them down to 2,500 watts. Um, so that's where you get the 16 our 6,000 machines at 15 megawatts. So we're going to be tight. You know, we have about 17 megawatts here physically, um, 17 transformers, all 1,000 kVA. Uh, but our PPAs through 15, so they could charge us more or regular rates if we bust that 15. So we're gonna really toe the line there. Uh, but we wanted to try something a little different with this farm, take advantage of the lower, uh, you know, per terahash pricing. I mean, some of these units that we were able to get um, were all the way down to four dollars a terahash. So it was like with that kind of hash rate price, right? It was just a algebra problem to figure out. Do I go with S 19 K pros or, you know, the newer what's minor stuff and pay 1700 to $2,000 a unit, or do I pay $300 a unit and just optimizely run them, you know, to where I'm not, I'm underclocking them. I'm getting two thirds of the hash rate of, you know, that's projected there. And then just doing the calculus on it and seeing if that makes sense for a site like this while, the newer stock kind of comes into fold, um, you know, cause anybody that's ordering right now, their dates keep slipping. Um, you know, the S 21s and S 19 K pros. I know we have a couple other sites with S 19 K pros that were supposed to be delivered in January. They've slipped now to February. So those are the kind of things that we're working through. So what's available right now with a turnkey facility like that right now. So that that's been, that's been what we're doing. Tell me a little bit about converting from a GPU site to a Bitcoin mining site and the logic behind doing that right now. I think you were doing that the last time we talked to the site in Wisconsin as well. Assuming you're not in Wisconsin right now. Yep. Our, our Wisconsin farm was uh, three megawatts. It was uh, 337 machines, seven cards each, each machine. Um, so that was mining Ethereum at the time, some Ethereum Classic and Ravencoin. Um, and since then, we still have some machines up and running there. Um, but most of that site's been converted to ASIC, uh, also. Uh, and it, it's just reconfiguring some of the, there we were using PDUs, you know, so power distribution, 30 amp, uh, units. And we had to switch those over to 50 amp for the, just the plug configuration. You know, we had these like large APC, you know, 30 amp units, but we could only use a couple plugs per, and then it was pretty much tapped out, right? So the GPU farm allowed us to have a little more flexibility. That also was 208 power. Uh, you know, we had three phase 208 coming in, and you know, 208 is real good for GPU farms. Um, it's not as well uh, for the ASICs just because the amps, you know, are, um, you it's you can run them a little warmer the stuff that we have in uh illinois for example we're running 277 so we have way more volts there and then the, the amp load is way lower um makes things run a little cooler uh and just having that overhead per plug you know if we want to do some experimenting with doing some overclocking in during the winter time like right now in th that area we had like zero degrees and negative degrees uh you know, temperatures. So being able to amp those things up a little, uh, out there to get a little more out of them. Um, you know, I think we're running one Oh fours right now, at 115 out there at that site with that's 277, uh, volts. Cause we have the extra amperage to, to run there. So it, it's just, it's managing really the site, especially if it's turnkey, if it was already set up for GPUs, what kind of PDUs do they have? And then what's the kind of plug configuration? And that's really what we've done here in uh, out the North Carolina site. I mean, it's 30,000 square foot. All the racking was set up. It had roughly 12,000 machines in there uh, prior. Um, so it was it's way more space than what we would need here. But the hot and the cold lanes were set up for that. Um, so we have the space to potentially put up to 45 megawatts in this location. 
Uh, it's more, can we get the, the extra transformers or switch out the transformers that we do have since there's 17 pads here, 10 by 10, we could put 2,500 KVAs in place of those and then amp that up, provided our downstream, uh, you know, lines would be uh, updated from the substation. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a future state thing, but, you know, changing that over from 208 to 240 during that transition with switch gear and stuff could be a possibility too. So I, I always like turnkey. You guys, uh, anybody that follows the channel and stuff, I always look for something that's already existing in place or can I get to a substation? I want to try to lean out all of that uh, infrastructure cost. They want to put most of the money in the miners, right? So like where can we find like zero dollar lease stuff or find substations or communities that are looking for uh, working with us uh, to you know, use up some of that extra uh, power that's there and, you know, try to lean out some of those costs. How has that been during a, the last bear market? I'm assuming there's a lot less bids to go and find these places and purchase them up. Has the strategy changed at all much? And are you seeing that change going into the bull market? Well, it always starts to me, even during a bear market, is what's what's the, the relative cheapest power rates that we can find uh, out there? I start with that because that kind of gives you your where you're, where the cost is going to really be from. So like if you're a three, three cent energy rate, and then you look at your NCP and your CP cost, your, your non-coincidental peaks or your coincidental peaks, and then your transmission and what's it all summed up to be a true all in out, you know, what's the bill look like if you're at like a 95% load factor. And if they can get those all in prices down there around that four cent even, or a little lower then you have at least somewhere you can start, even in a bear market, you can be like, okay, you know, there's going to be maybe some retraction on hash rate. We've seen hash rate rescind back, you know, during deep bear markets, uh, you know, people turning off older machines, less efficient machines. Um, and then what kind of structure can we get with any of those PPAs? If there's, you know, like economic riders, is it, a, you know, uh, you know, economic incentive zone, you know, somewhere that I can, you know, save some extra, maybe over a couple year period, we'll look at that and do the math to figure out like, okay, this gets us through the bear market, you know, into maybe a bull market as those riders fall off. Um, those kind of things, you know, taking all those different elements to try to bring it down to as lean as possible. And then working with those communities to, you know, see if there's other incentives, you know, because we are bringing like just here at the North Carolina side as an example, I mean, we've had 25 folks here, you know, for the local temp agencies and then other, uh, you know, uh, consulting companies working with them to bring people in here to help us get this built up quick. Um, you know, so we are, you know, hiring from the local communities and that sort of thing. So working in the bear market, people are looking, uh, you know, maybe to come out of a farm. Maybe there's other machines that can come out. So all of the different other components, um, we were able to pick up transformers a little cheaper. Uh, because there were sites that, you know, just had other issues. Maybe they had bonding issues or a, um, like for like the insurance and stuff, there's bonds that you have to get. And sometimes those don't come through and then you can't, you know, do the site because you can't get the insurance or there's zoning issues. We had our own zoning issue in one of the sites where everything was landed. Everything was good. It was inked. And then they, they came in and put in uh, uh thing saying, Hey, sorry, Oh, we couldn't get the special use permit in and it was like last minute and it was like okay so now i've already paid for cranes and everything here so there are things like that that happen so you know kind of building in those budgets of like okay i'm gonna you have a plan and then you have what the reality is so having some management float in there to understand that that's that that's there but really the bear market for me is looking for opportunities out there and lower costs get the structures in place ahead of you know that bull market that's going to come and that's essentially what we did through you know sixteen thousand dollar bitcoin we were you know getting the substation set up so um i, I it's just the economics of what the price are there that you're paying for the for the power definitely and that's cool to hear like the whole the whole backstory uh people actually you know putting picks and shovels into the ground during a down market and now reaping the benefits. I'm curious from like an investor's perspective, I was meeting with an investor who does both real estate and Bitcoin mining investing, and they've been a little bearish on Bitcoin mining investing for a little bit now, and maybe it's just bear market stuff, but I think they just mostly were saying the profile for Bitcoin mining has changed a lot. Like the 
the multiplier on it, whatever, has has not been as high as you can find in other markets, uh, especially compared to real estate, which is what this person does. And so they're not really leaning into it as much from an investor perspective. And from what you're saying here, you also mentioned that like local communities are now sort of looking at Bitcoin mining for its ancillary services. Do you think like Bitcoin mining's investor profile is changing? It's becoming more of a utility with a, with a lower multiplier uh, for investors to look into? Or do you think we still have you know, some good magnet uh, multiples we could pull into a good cycle here? Yeah, no, I, I see where they would come from, especially coming out of a bear market and then seeing how much the Bitcoin difficulty has risen, right? There's been a pretty, uh, you know, we've had six and 7% increases, right? And that really starts to change some, you know, change some of the pro formas when people are looking at like, wait a minute here, uh, you know, over two difficulty adjustments, I've had 13% increase. That's a huge difficulty. That's a yield reduction, right? So it starts changing some of the profiles on, you know, the capital, but I would say we're in a, we're in a discovery phase, I think in Bitcoin, when it comes to the industry growth right now of like, what's infrastructure Bitcoin look like, like getting on, you know, the critical infrastructure kind of uh, focus where, you know, we're talking to MISO, we're talking to these larger, uh, you know, energy demand, you know, get, getting as part of the fabric of that. And then that starts looking at some of the economic incentives that come in there. I think a lot of that is just getting the door open, which has been very hard for us to try you know, staying in like the 15 megawatts and lower um, just because we are a smaller demand on the larger energy market side. However, I think the formula of, you know, Bitcoin mining in general and looking at like, what's the cost breakdown, what's maintenance, what's management uh, of the all in cost of operating. Cause I've seen that we've came and helped larger farms um, optimize their setup and some of their just ca their daily cadence um, because they'll see stuff that we're doing on, on the channel. And they're like, wait a minute, we're not doing that at our farm and we're 10 times the size of this. Like, what, what, why are we not doing that? And then their farm operators will call us and be like, hey, what, you know, what, what tools are you guys using here to optimize? And how are you, what's your cadence of, uh, you know, fixing things and finding things and, and just trying to help optimize the whole thread where it, you can lower the full cost basis of like the management costs. There's huge costs that can happen, especially larger farms. And when they look at when a, a you know an investor's looking at the all in, they see I see what my yields are. I see that they're getting dropped because of in difficulty increasing. Bitcoin price is also increasing, which changes some of it too. But like, what's the all in cost operating? And when you start getting in these much larger facilities, there's way more extra costs that they'll end up having, right? Um, compared to you know smaller sites, five megawatt, ten megawatt sites. So I can see like the mega farms looking at, uh, you know, where they can get almost too big and now their costs are so high that it ends up breaking up to a more, uh, you know, palatable, uh, I would call it self-managed kind of sites where you have like maybe two to three people running it, not 25 people with scissor lifts and all this other stuff, right? Like the, you look at just the design of it, and some of the sites we've been in that, that build them up really tall. And now you have to use like for our site here, we have four scissor lifts. We are setting it up to where we don't have to use them. Right. I don't want to have all this extra cost and time and all this other stuff. So we're looking at it from just stratifying all the cost elements of it and looking at how to run it as lean as possible. And it comes down to the daily operation, which then reduces all your costs. So I think it's looking at your entire operation and your design, where it's at, how long does it take to get there? And looking at your total cost of ownership is like a TCO kind of calculation. And I think that's where the market's going. It's going from just running it in our basements, running it in shops or small warehouses to larger operations and getting that optimization in place, you know, running like a true Six Sigma kind of, you know, approach to it to figure out how can I lean out certain costs and make the make it affordable and make it you know, compete in the, the rest of the market around the world, right? For just not labor, but parts and maintenance side of it. And really, I think matter. So I, I think that, uh, you know, the shops that are, that are really looking at optimizing are going to show much better, you know, numbers on the bottom line because they've been a lot more optimized. They won't have as much on the operation side uh, of the house. And then, um, you know, 
that transition to maybe some of the newer miners and looking at what those costs that they can get them for. Cause we're buying the newest stack way cheaper than in the 2021 20, market, right? Where you're at 50, yeah, way cheaper. right? You're yeah, we're that, still at 25 is I think is some of the highest terahash I've seen on, on stuff um, per terahash price. So, you know, maybe if we hit punch past a hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin price, we might see a, a lift in prices, but I'm still seeing that you could get in, you know, eight to ten dollar per terahash on one tens to one twenty units on Bitmain stuff. If you're looking at one forties and plus, you're maybe into eighteen dollars per terahash, but um, it's still way cheaper than what it was in twenty one. Yeah, it's actually where I was going to ask you next because we're kind of talking about like next cycle stuff, and you talked about infrastructure. And you had that line earlier that you try to go as cheap as possible and work with towns where like they need you guys to come in. So that makes sense. I think there is like a lot of small to mid-sized miners who who listen to this show or are looking for those little uh, bits of information to help them be lean and smart. From uh, ASIC side, that's always really tough though because it's completely different side of the market. It's extremely cyclical. Uh, prices are really hard to get and there's always some, so much scalping and so much. it's very difficult to get these units for cheaper than the next guy. What's your thoughts on buying ASICs right now? Like, Are you going out and purchasing ASICs into this market? Or are you going to just you're fine with waiting. Like you said, the prices aren't going up. Um, and last, but I know I asked you three questions here. Yeah. What do you think about last generation units? Do you think we're going to see those return into like strong pricing again? Yeah. So, I mean, we, like uh, for this site here, we've been going with, you know, 104s, 95s, uh, 110 uh, Bitmain stuff. So la- essentially last generation stuff, running them as optimally as possible. I mean, with the, the, custom configs we've been running and we've been testing uh brains os uh lux os um the awesome minor os which is part of Anish. so we've been trying the different uh, os's on it and then going custom config on volts and and megahertz to try to lock in some really good uh you know joules per terahash we're at about 26 joules per terahash to 24 on these legacy old units running them way you know 2500 watts not running them you know, 4,000 plus Watts. Um, I, I think they do have some lifespan in them. Uh, you know, I would dare to say that any of these, you know, 104s, 100s, those things are like the old uh, S9s. I mean, those are built like tanks. Um, but the, you know, I think it's going to come down to a, especially if we tear past 50,000, it's going to be what's available and what's your power rate and can you plug it in? Um, there's going to be folks looking at everything. I think there is still a pretty decent secondary market on a lot of that legacy stuff. But, you know, as we start to see, you know, the 120s, uh, S19, you know, S19K Pros really start to deliver. And then the S21s, there is, you know, some minor configs that some shops have to do with that. You know, they have that, uh, that newer connector, the PA45. I think they also go by a different number, uh, designation but bitmain said that they're going to ship those with the the c19 plug uh for people to be able to to you know still use their existing setups but you know there, there's going to be some reconfig and some plugging with some of those that people have to invest in and then you know seeing the proliferation of like the desi Wii and some of the other units that are um you know the higher end you know 200 terahash plus units you know coming into fold um I think there's such a price discrepancy from the legacy stuff and the new stuff um, that I think the the new stuff or the legacy stuff still going to be bought up um, as shops start to you know move their uh, their their stuff to the newer stuff. You know we're seeing everything get mm-hmm. bought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know we've been looking for you know the 104s and 110s for a while now, uh, and they just get bought up as fast as they come. But um, it's still very for somebody that was buying in 21. I mean, these prices are fantastic. So yeah, I'm very happy with them right now. I mean, I know I, I bought some ASICs at the top of 21 as well. So I, I'm hoping that 90 terahash come back into into Vogue again and maybe get a good price point on those. But we shall see. Depends entirely on on Bitcoin's price, as you said. Uh, one additional point here is what's happening at the public markets i think even this morning i saw something a deal between iris energy and bitmain every day there seems to be some sort of new asic announcement from one of these mega miners any thoughts on how that's going to change the market going to the cycle we saw it last cycle big press releases big purchase orders not all of them were fulfilled 
seems like the same play that's going to happen this time, but it might even be exaggerated a little bit. Like I'm already seeing some some crazy ones out there. Any thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah, I so I think there's. I mean, you still have like Bitfury and a few of the other ones out there in the market that that don't sell to public. You know, they just do bigger deals. Um, I mean, even some of the units that the used units that we bought here, um, the S19i. So that was a different unit. A lot of people haven't seen it. It was a you know a, a special order for a very large you know entity. They ordered their own S19s uh, with their own designation on it, and then we bought the you know the used one so there wasn't a lot of firmware and stuff updates for those because they were it was a special unit right so i think there will be special units that we won't even hear about and we'll see after the fact uh you know the coin dad is over here near us in uh north carolina that runs the bitcoin museum so he's came over to buy us a couple times and you know we're giving him a s19i right (laughs) like because he's like i've never even seen one of these you know and it's like it was a special order one and when you start to talk to bitman they're like well you know They'll fulfill, you know, uh, if you do a large enough order and you want to have something that's custom on it, you know, they'll they'll do that, right? You can set up and have a whole taped out separate unit. And I think what the interesting thing is going to be is when these larger publicly traded miners and do their much larger orders, we're going to see is there going to be a class order kind of, uh, you know, competition of like well, who's going to get the chips first, right? So. Um, you know, is it going to be retail market or is it going to be, you know, these larger orders that have the capital ready and are deploying? And I think it's going to get a lot more industrialized like that before it, you know, it, it would separate. I think the big thing is all, the risk. And I've always said this with the, like the much larger farms is the existential risk of centralizing a lot of power in one location, um, from like an investor and a, porf- a portfolio standpoint and the risk of like, if I have one site that's, you know, 400 megawatts and I might have a couple different feeders there, but if those feeders for whatever reason go down, then that's a large uh, site that's down. I, I like the distribution. I like the separation. It does add a little cost with, you know, having to visit sites, but even in our Illinois site, we have three separate locations, you know, three, five megawatt, you know, separated locations. And it, it it's where I've had like weather in one, I'm not having it in another and I don't, I'm not losing, you know, all of them. So having some level of redundancy and separation on that, I think is going to be kind of the new meta. If we see a, uh, you know, a big issue with one of the big public negotiated miners that have, you know, something like that would happen a couple of years ago in, in Texas with like the, the ice, you know, and we end up losing a, a site for a large amount of time with that's a large entity right um so i think that there's some lessons learned there but like you know uh, those orders can get split up right so like they can send them to all their different sites and stuff so yeah i think there's gonna be a competition for a lot of the new stuff and i think like always and i never we use almost all exclusive bitmain so i would never bash bitmain anything but they never deliver on time so like we'll see when when they show up is what it is. Even the Bitmain reps we work with are like, ah, maybe this month or next month. All right. So it's, um, we'll see how these delays and delivery uh, occur. And then, you know, we're in a presidential election year. Like who knows how that's going to affect things, um, you know, from tariffs to, you know, impacts and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be, 24 is going to be a very interesting year. Um, you know, I mean, ETF now just kicking off, right? And then seeing all the ancillary things that come with that, um, you know, and the demand for the for the coins, you know, is there going to be an OTC increase for spot for buying minor coins versus other coins, you know, because some of the stuff we've talked about with other other miners and other folks is like, is there if if you're selling your coins directly OTC to market, you're not really affecting spot. And is there a premium on those coins? Because now they don't have all the audit as much audit requirement than if a, you know, a hedge fund was buying it from, you know, just general market and, you know, what are going to be the reporting requirements for where those coins came from and all that? Is there a separate, you know, price index that ends up happening with fresh coins because there's no history on them and it's the first point. And is there going to be a a demand on spot from, you know, various miners and stuff? I think there's going to be a lot of different ways from a revenue standpoint for miners to kind of play it. Uh, through this year uh, on if they need to, you know, switch to cash to pay their power and, you know, working with power companies to see if they'll take Bitcoin, 
you know, and then to save us a hop, save us a transaction fee, there might be some opportunity there too, uh, working with the power companies to accept the Bitcoin directly and then save us all, you know, cost and fees uh, for having to convert. Hey listeners, let's talk about revolutionizing your mining operation with Foreman. This isn't your average management tool. It's an all-in-one solution for reducing costs and significantly boosting your revenue. Foreman brings a cutting-edge dashboard to your fingertips, empowering you with automated energy strategies. This means not only curtailing around real-time prices, but also strategically enhancing your profit margins through demand response. It's about leveraging energy efficiency to its fullest potential. With Foreman, you get a system that scales with your business, inventory management for assets, infrastructure integration, and business intelligence. Foreman elevates the cash flow and production of your entire operation. To see how Foreman can redefine your mining operation standards, visit foreman.mn. With Foreman, you're not just managing a mining operation, you're setting a new standard in the industry. One thing you uh, brought up is talking about the decentralization of Bitcoin mining within the United States and whether it be like a mega farm here and there to protect against weather or stuff like that. Um, Upstream is also a, a proud sponsor of this show. And Steve at Upstream always talks about how we need to have like these tiny little farms that are connected to power sources very close. And that's something that you do. Uh, it seems like mostly you're working with the interconnections or like local city areas, but next to substations. But you're finding like these five megawatt farms here and there. Do you think these mega miners are ever going to get into that game or is the logistics too much of a hassle for them to be able to implement something like that? I think everybody goes around, especially at scale, goes to lease line of resistance and what's the easiest, what's the large, you know, I have a large, you know, you know, like Riot and them getting a coal plant, had a lot of energy because it was a smelter and it just makes sense and the economics are there. The thing that I think would impact them is if there's a large existential issue downstream or something with their power because they are a large consumer. And then if something happens, it's like all your eggs in one basket thing. And if that's a big impact, then they'll start looking at a lot more distribution. Um, but I think any portfolio manager out there will tell you that they want some level of diversification or de-risking everything in one spot. Um, so, you know, separating it, I mean, a lot of ours has just been out of necessity because, you know, it was more of a, how much capital could we start with this, you know, to expand to a five megawatt, what's five megawatts look like? What's 750 KBA? We've helped a lot of people just start with, you know, a smaller 20 foot container with, you know, uh, or a couple 20 foot containers with like a 500 MBA or KBA to a 750 KBA. And that's the way they start. And then their next round, you know, they went with the five megawatt, right? So it's like a crawl, walk, run in that aspect. It gets people to understand on how to operate their farm. A lot of these that we've helped set up, um, were, were, were done in a way that we were like, you know, it's fine for us to help you operate it. Um, but we would more let be more inclined to teach you how to run it. You know, it might be a three month thing and then you hand it off. Right. And then we just keep up with them through email and stuff and make sure everything's going well. And that's kind of supporting the decentralization. Right. And I think that's having these in local communities and areas that have excess of power and you're essentially buying the gap uh, on, you know, the, you know, the evening, some of them are time of use. Some sites can't get like the four cent, but they can get down to close to four cent for 18 hours a day, right? So then they're only running 18 hours and then they're off, you know, the extra eight or four hours. Some of them are 24 or 20 hours and only having four hours. So, you know, finding opportunities like that and then kind of separate, uh, I share that with um, upstream. You know, I think that's, I think that would be a, a much better future for Bitcoin in general because it's so distributed and that it's distributed via power. You're not so centralized in one power, you know, cluster. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh, the declines of scale obviously do come out to play, though, just like they do in pools or other parts of Bitcoin. Let's talk about other proof-of-work coins for a moment because I know you do dabble in other coins, and we talk about them normally about a few times a year on this show. Uh, you'll go to any Bitcoin mine, and you'll find some other ASIC on the shelf as well. Obviously, that was much more the case when there was Ethereum mining going on, but yep. we definitely try to cover that sector a little bit. And then we'll wrap up at the end with just some thoughts on what you're kind of expecting for next year. And I don't know if you've sat down and you know, okay. grabbed the orb and thought about what's in store for 2024, <laughs> but um, I'll ask you some predictions then. But first to other proof of work coins, what are you guys looking at on the channel or personally? Mm -hmm. What are some things you're kind of eyeballing? 
Well, so I've always supported the Ravencoin network since essentially the inception, um, just reading through uh, their white paper and looking at where Patrick Byrne and the folks from Overstock that helped kind of get it into fruition, um, you know, from a, a fork of Bitcoin, UTXO ba back in, um, proof, you know, uses uh, Kapow, which is a... a, a derivative of uh, ProgPow, which was designed for just GPUs. Um, so doing that with uh, with them uh, and just supporting that network. So we still speculative mine essentially, like, cause you don't know, you just, you're, you're what the progress on that is gonna be, but I like the, the architecture that they put together for that. So we still support that network. Um, the Flux, I've been paying attention to what Flux is doing also with the useful proof of work taking the concept of all those extra GPU cycles and, you know, you have an, a portion of it to secure the network, like normal proof of work, but using the other components within the GPU to do uh, what they would call useful proof of work, where you're not just securing with an algorithm, you're also like processing, you know, uh, data, uh, doing uh, limited AI, doing, uh, you know, if you're just running a, a package uh, through uh, computational fluid dynamics, things that you could do with a GPU being a general purpose unit, uh, and then having that as a payload that you can attach the work plus the payload to, you know, the effort that you're, you're going with and getting paid for that. So somebody would be a counterparty submitting that work on the network to be done if they're trying to render out something um, as an example, and then getting paid for that. So uh, innovation really coming from that, I think is, is interesting. Dynex is uh, doing the same kind of thing. You know, there's a couple different coins trying to tackle that, that side of the market. Um, so those are really the, the, the three that I've been looking at. I really, I didn't really follow the Caspa piece. I mean, I saw it and we were converting the Bitcoin during that time. So I didn't do anything with Caspa. And I know that it's had a pretty good run too, but um, you know, I've always loved the GPU side uh, since Bitcoin. That's what brought me into Bitcoin um, was being able to go out and buy a GPU and put it on a network. And then that switched over to Litecoin and then we went to Ethereum, right? So individual participation, it's such a barrier to entry. I think it's a, it's always been a good thing. I know that there's a lot of, I have a lot of good friends on, on in the space that are, I would put coin is quote unquote maxis. I've had talks with all of them, you know, at, at events and stuff. And just they're like, why are you still messing with the, you know, GPU mining coins and all this? I'm like, you got to understand where it came from. And I think that the, the, to get somebody interested in this space from that technical aspect and to participate, it's a low barrier of entry you probably already have a gpu in your computer so it gets you the basic fundamentals of what proof of work is and how it works and how to you know get a local wallet and all that and that's kind of onboards you into you know uh if you want to get into bitcoin mining and all that uh versus going out and buying asic now asics are so cheap like you can find older asics uh you know 300 400 you could just go straight to bitcoin and do an asic and and get into it but i still i still have a lot of respect for you know, the GPU mining scene and, and that, and, you know, it's, it's where I kind of, I'd say built up from. So, um, still looking to support those networks and, you know, seeing where they, where, where they can go. I, I still think there's a lot of inertia there. There's a lot of GPUs out there. We all know from that are out there. Um, but those are the ones I'm looking at primarily on the GPU side. And you've dabbled a little bit in AI stuff. So I'm curious to get your take on it from someone who's you can break down any sort of hardware that comes to your, your shop better than anyone else, but you can also build an entire farm uh, and you're building, you know, three to five megawatt farms. So a lot smaller than the mega farms out there, but mm -hmm. where does your, uh, where do you look at AI right now and be like, Hey, this is a good investment for us, or this is something to pass on for the moment and put these GPUs to work on something else. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously with our farm up in Wisconsin where we had, you know, 2,500 plus GPUs, and some of those being, you know, A5000, A6000s, which were designed to do that, you know, machine learning, you know, tasking, um, rendering, tasking, that sort of thing. We're looking after Ethereum, like, you know, could we repurpose some of these? And going down that road of, uh, you know, what was required, you know, if we were trying to run our own LLM, if we were uh, being able to co-host an LLM, you know, core for somebody, you know, could we 
could the GPU mining scene compete with like the existing data center world? And I'm very, I'm very familiar with the data center world just from the consulting stuff that I do uh, in, in tandem with the Bitcoin uh, stuff or went out and helped build data centers around the world. But the, you know, looking at the way Bitcoin or the way GPU mining farms are built and with our bus infrastructure, meaning like we have a, usually a low end CPU, a little bit of memory, uh, a one X bus lane, and then a really high end GPU, the high end GPU looks awesome and would be great for the AI. But when you look at like LLMs and doing any of the, uh, you know, if you're doing computational fluid dynamics, if you're doing any kind of buildup from like a machine learning, you have a high data bus requirement. So looking at, you know, trying to deploy that distributedly and all that with, you know, the mine, you know, we took a kind of a three month venture to see, you know, could we redeploy this in that fashion? And what we found is that on the one X bus was our real limiting factor there. Um, but it does give an opportunity for any developers out there that are listening that, you know, if you did package that up kind of like a study at home uh, or folding at home kind of application where you could break up those data sets and then allow like a GPU miner to, to process those and then come back together, kind of like a RAR set, um, you it would give a potential opportunity to leverage a lot of these existing GPU farms to to support that you know AI infrastructure. If you're a small company and want to try to run your own LLM, that sort of thing, I think there is a future state of that. I think developers are amazingly talented and will eventually go down that road. Um, but looking at that, I think that's the real kind of limit. Uh, I look at like where HUD eight did where they, when they bought their GPUs, um, their, their latest round of GPUs, they actually bought them as like full data server setups where they had, you know, two and a half gig, you know, to, to machine 10 gig back in, you know, Optitron and Epic processors, 64 gigs of Ram. And it was like, why are they spending all this extra CapEx on these machines? Well, they were setting themselves up to, uh, to be able to pivot if Ethereum went early on, you know, the having and are on their, their switch to proof of stake. So, you know, there are some shops that went that and spent the extra CapEx to be able to pivot to that. But, uh, you know, I think that AI is just expanding in such a way that more than just LLMs, it's getting into engineering and the mathematics and some of the other larger data sets that are out there that I think in 24 and future that we're going to see some opportunity there uh, where some folks will be able to use our GPUs. I mean, we're seeing it with render render token, um, is doing that right now with being able to do, uh, movie rendering and graphics rendering and stuff in a distributed fashion. Um, and you know, I, that's where I see a lot of that, that technology. I think we're, we're finally, I think out of the, you know, the meme tokens, I mean, they kind of shoot up and then shoot right back down. I think it is now what's the useful work that can be done with these GPUs that are set on idle. Yeah, a lot of meme coins too have been on Solana, which proof of stake network. So can't really get much exposure unless you're buying the token. And a lot of people don't like doing that. So yep. I think there could be a doge cycle again. There seems to be historically always a doge cycle uh, correlated with Elon and correlated with a Bitcoin bull cycle. And that obviously is a proof of work token. So yep. there's that, not investment advice, but there is that. So yep. who knows? Yeah, don't. Do um, let's. Like. It might go up there. Yeah. But speaking of Doge, let's talk about predictions as we kind of like wrap up here. What are some things you're kind of thinking about for next year from a, a business and investment perspective as you're kind of steering the ship of both Bitsby Trip and Media and yeah. your mining farm projects? Uh, and then also contracting work with, uh, with other agencies, right? So you do, you wear many, many hats, but what are some things you're kind of looking at and be like, as a strategist, these are the cards I kind of want to play? Yeah, so I, I think our big thing was getting the rest of this this current build up um, and running. We should have that by mid-February be up and fu fully functional here. Uh, and then just we have a few other farms that are we're helping get moved over. There was a, a few European farms that are moving over that we've been helping get in there. But, you know, uh, short of the, the where Bitcoin's going in that structure, just really taking all the content and the 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 structure of what we've built internally and the processes that we've built that we, you know, go out and do consulting and trying to get that to where we can expand that to where it's not just where we physically have to be there. So taking a lot of that and building that into a portal 
and being able to get it to where folks can get access to that faster and on repeat, essentially, on some of those processes that we've developed internally, um, you know, that people have, you know, had us come out and consult for, right? Uh, of trying to get that pushed out to the edges to where people can get access to it, um, to where you don't need direct access to us to be able to get some of those best practices, right? Um, from the, the optimizations and just just the lean practices in general on running a farm and trying to lean out some of those costs for everybody to make, you know, to where we can have a much better, uh, you know, I think sediment with like investors and people. So they understand like, hey, this is how we should be running farms. This is what we should be looking at from, you know, optimization, that sort of thing. So um, I think there's going to be a huge strides in the the automation. I mean, I'm waiting for the, I've been waiting for the AI portion to come to like the auto management fe features. Like if it's going to be Foreman or Awesome Miner or one of the larger, uh, you know, management solution softwares to start adding some level of intelligence into it. Uh, we have a huge amount of scripting at the sites that we do. Uh, a lot of seashell scripts that are like huge decision trees of, you know, did the miner do this? Okay, try that three times. If it didn't do that, check the logs. You know, like we have this decision trees that we set up to try to self-heal the miners. And then it's like, oh, a hashboard's down and one fan's down. Okay, shut that hashboard down. It's okay to disable that fan. Don't run with more than two fans if it's at this temperature. Those sorts of things to where I can keep a farm running even if it's suboptimal, you know, for a short period, I don't lose the whole machine. So that's like step one, right? That you have to get your farms in order where you don't want to lose a whole machine if one hashboard's out, that kind of thing. So, you know, trying to like take that and kind of get that out to the edges for people. I know a lot of folks are like, wait a minute here. That's, that's, that may add more, you know, X hash onto the network. Um, but like at the end of the day, we're all supporting the same network. And I think if we show, uh, a unity in that strength of trying to be optimized, then it shows a level of maturity for the space. And then that maturity then does drive, you know, confidence for investors because people we're looking at the bottom line. We're looking at how to lean out uh, operations and run efficiently and then support the network, you know, and then that relationship that we get with the network is we're paid in Bitcoin, right? There, it's very, uh, you know, very lean relationship as it is. So like, if I can make the cost structure get more better, I think it'll, it'll help. So trying to get that education out to the space and then really get the channel back up with where we're at. So we're recording everything. We've been recording everything. We've talked to, I have a Netflix producer I've been talking to for a while. We were going to do a show last year and then the bull market, you know, the bear market came in, but like trying to like get some exposure to this space and like, what's it take to, kind of get a site set up and running and all the different nuance that comes with it um, that you can run into, I think would be really good content to kind of share, you know, from, you know, the interns, the bonding, the, the, the various zoning stuff that you have to deal with, you know, working with the community, how best to approach the community, you know, that don't know much about it or, you know, have only what they see on the internet or the news you know, about Bitcoin, like, oh, why do we want that in the neighborhood? And like going to the like the local community meetings and stuff and understanding what the community needs and how can we be a better participant, that kind of stuff. I think showing that side of it, because we don't get to show a lot of that here. Uh, I think exposing that this next year as we, again, get into a new presidential campaign and who's going to be, you know, that's going to have a lot of effect, I think, in the U.S. in general uh, and, you know, just be good stewards to the network and uh, show that community. Definitely. Yeah. Whoever is uh, going to go into the presidency is probably going to up money printing and decrease interest rates. So uh, <laughs> I'm expecting that to be a prediction for this next year. Last one I'll ask you, and we always ask this to people beginning of the year, what do you think we're going to be at for network cash rate by the end of this year? So December, 2024, where do you predict network cash rate for Bitcoin. I think we're just around 500, 550, depending on where these Texas winter storms are. Yeah, are pushing so, us I, down. so I have pretty detailed pro formas and and, uh, and models that we we set up and go through. And my, my upper trend one shows us at 890. Uh, my lower trend one shows us at 655. So uh, I think we're gonna be between those two numbers. Um, it could be in the 700s, but that, that's kind of the upper and the lower trend. 
Uh, and then my down cycle one is like if we have a rescindance back into the 30s and it ends at like I had literally have a model that shows that we end the year at $38,000 Bitcoin price. And what's that look like? And I, I show that at 610. So it still does creep up. And a lot of that calculus is based on what people are paying for power. And if you're at that four or five cent range, you're still profitable even after having. You're really close, but you're going to go and run into a leaner operation standpoint. Um, and I think it still ticks up because you're going to have people putting the newer machines online. Um, you know, a lot of the larger farms putting the, the, you know, the 200 tear hash units and they're taking one forties off, they're taking one tens down. And if you just do the math on that, you're, you're looking at a lift, you know, you'll have a lot of people turning off, but I think you're still going to have a bump up. Uh, so I think, I think we still end it even if we're stay flat for price at around that six fifty mm-hmm. range. Um, but you know, the, the upper tier there I think is in the eight hundreds, um, I mean, what's the next range? Is it Zeta? What's the... Yeah, one Zeta hash or whatever, hash however goes. you say it. Yeah, yeah. so I, I I don't know if we'll punch through that. I mean, just looking at, like, fabrication and, and just the delays, um, you know, what they would have to produce to do that and with people, just the uptime of trying to swap out stuff and um, plugs. And I know that there's a lot of... Uh, we got to see some of the newer What's Minor stuff, the water-cooled stuff that's running, you know, 380... Uh, 400 terash units that are all water cooled. I think we'll have some, you know, pieces of that kind of thrown thrown around. But that's there's a lot of infrastructure to put that kind of stuff in, um, and there's a lot of operations that have been running the water cooled stuff that are that. It, it, let's just say it's a it's a definite different challenge. So I, I think it's great in theory. It's really f- hard in execution to keep maintaining over a long period of time. So we'll see how those things keep holding up. And, and then the immersion cool, I think is kind of the happy medium. I think most of the people clean spark and knows real went real deep on immersion. Um, and it looks like it's running pretty good. So, um, you know, it's not pressurized. It's, it's not the mm-hmm. complexities. I think of the water cooling, the setups where all the glyco and all the things you have to do with water cooling. So, you know, provided they don't have a huge surge of that stuff, because that could then change the multiples a little, because it's just it's like almost an order of magnitude more than the standard baseline uh, unit. Um, yeah, I think we'll still stay yeah. between that six fifty five to to eight ninety range. Okay, well, we got you on the books, and we'll return with that in December next year, and we'll either be pleased with it or uh, we'll make fun of you a little bit for being really wrong. We'll, we'll find out. Michael, thank you for joining the Mining Pod. Always great to see you. Where can people continue to follow along with the Bitsby Tribune channel? Yeah, so most of the content I've been doing daily vlogs. I, I took a, a week off this last week because I was out, um, but when I'm back, I'm doing daily vlogs every day on Twitter or X now, um, and then we're going to take uh, those and put those in, in a more produced fashion on youtube we've been on youtube since 2013 sharing stuff so um youtube is like kind of the the uh the old mainstay but like the the most current stuff is always on x i'm i'm just posting stuff as i go uh and then doing a daily vlog it's usually three to five minutes kind of what we're doing status wise and i always try to have a point to it of like you know i'm showing something but i'm also saying here's why we did it and then yeah. I get a lot of good feedback from that. You know, people are like, oh, we did it differently or we did it this way. So uh, most of those are usually like a theme, you know, based like we're going to talk about power today, you know, and then we'll go yeah. into that. But yeah, if you're if you want to follow along on the 15 megawatt build, we're, I'm going to be doing that through the next couple of weeks for sure. Awesome. Michael, great to see you. We'll see you again. Uh, definitely on the channel a year from now, we do 2025, but yep. probably sometime sooner than that. But thanks again for joining. Yep, for sure.